Welcome to the Her Story Podcast, Son Histoire à Elle. I'm your host, Kathleen Stavert. Son Histoire à Elle est un balado bilingue qui met en valeur non seulement le succès des femmes du Québec, mais qui souligne leur pratique et leur vie de tous les jours. I'll be talking with creative, successful, and game-changing women who are inspiring and relatable in the ordinary and extraordinary lives they lead. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy. Hair. It's political. It holds power, trauma, our little girl memories in its coils as tightly as we hold our identities to our hearts. And that's why talking with Abisara McCold was such an exciting experience for me, especially being the owner of one of my favorite places in Montreal. She is a queen, and I definitely had a fangirl moment interviewing her. Abisara owns Inheritance, a salon that specifically targets curly hair. She's built a community, an essential service, if you ask me, and every one of her customers. Her upbringing has so interestingly paved her way towards leadership, activism, and especially reclaiming her femininity and Black identity. She shares her heart on this episode, her own path. She shares how COVID has affected her business And also, a bonus for you curly folk out there, she gives us a masterclass on how to take care of your curly locks. This is a one-of-a-kind episode, everyone. And if you enjoy it, share it with a friend who you think needs a little help, a little uplift, a little inspiration. See you on the other side. Hi, Abisara. Welcome to the Her Story podcast. Hi, Kathleen. I'm so excited to be here. No, no. I'm excited that you're here. I am I am a, uh, a huge fan wow. um, because I stepped into Inheritance probably like a year and a half ago after a friend's recommendation. And I came out of there changed. Wow. I've never had a haircut for my curly hair like that before. And ever since, I have to tell you, I'm 37 years old and I have never worn my hair down as much as I have since I've had my first haircut at Inheritance. That is so, beautiful. That's wonderful to hear. Really. So I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast and learn more about you and about your business and uh, and also just to show my appreciation as I'm sure so many other people feel that same way too. Uh, thank you so much for, for your words because um, every time we do get that feedback and you're right, we do get it a lot, but it always reminds us again about the mission, about the purpose and that we're on the right track. And that was the whole reason for, is the whole reason for our existence to change people habit about the hair to be able to see the hair in a different light and what you say is is um is really exactly that moment that happens to so many of us where you're like wow it took me 35 years 25 years 37 years to actually get acquainted to my hair and meet yeah. her and see what is she really able to do when i take care of her so yeah beautiful thank you for that yeah well okay well let's just go right in there We're talking about mission and purpose. Tell me about that of inheritance. Well, I think it's a completely um, purpose-driven uh, hair salon or purpose-driven business. It's no longer only a hair salon. It's, it, it became so much more. 
but it was uh, definitely it definitely came from my own story. So I grew up in Austria as a black girl, as an Afro Austrian girl, never knowing what to do with my hair. My mom mm-hmm. not having the skill set nor the knowledge to um, handle my hair, to manage it, and to give me a better relationship with it. So it was kind of my own personal journey um, of my identity, I would say, as in what it means to be black and how do I want to identify myself and do I just want to pick up the definitions and the images that I've been bombarded with all my life, you know, from Mm -hmm. um, being promiscuous, being exotic, uh, you know, being a black mama, like all of those very, very strong classical racist and sexist images that I was confronted with and I grew up with into mm-hmm. self-defined images. Who do I actually want to be and identify myself with? And my hair was a very, very big part of that journey, a part of that self-discovery moment, you know, that, that took a that took years. And getting acquainted with it makes made me realize that this is not only an individual journey, this is really something that we all go through in the diaspora mm-hmm. and on the continent. We have really lost that knowledge that that um, relationship with our natural hair texture. And obviously there are reasons for that. And it's really important not to shame ourselves or to shame uh, different communities about not knowing um, how to deal with our natural state of hair because um, there was a very strong agenda that is over 450 years old, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's exactly in making us not feel beautiful, not feel comfortable and objectifying us um, into, um, yeah, enslaved Africans all over the world. So Mm -hmm. now, you know, since the 60s, there were different moments in time where that agenda became more mainstream and and had more attention. And I feel like Inheritance is doing its little part to to do this story, to make that moment uh, happen for many, many people here in Montreal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely like so much um, cultural and historical connotations uh, connected to hair. And like, just just like as a white woman speaking with curly hair, Mm -hmm. I feel like my hair is such a huge part of my identity, my femininity, um, how I sort of carry myself. It's it's a source of pride and a source of massive frustration. Absolutely, yeah. And then I read about and hear about, you know, little little black girls going to school in in colonized countries um, and being told that their hair is too much. um, It's too curly. It's too frizzy. It's too this. It's too that. It's not enough this, not enough that. Um, I can't even like I can't even imagine how that must feel for a young woman or a little girl and how much pressure it's is sort of added on like an extra layer of pressure onto your femininity and um and and onto your identity absolutely i think that's exactly what it is it's an added layer and it's important to oversee um any kind of suppressive systems in those layers and how they how they're always intertwined, you know, sexism and racism are intertwined and feeling um, not good enough is so part of sexism and then not feeling good enough um, as a black girl. Obviously, you got the whole racial connotation that that comes along with it. And um, it's it's so part of our identity. So that liberation process that happens when you start owning your hair, owning your curls, because the story, I mean, for curly hair all over is very, very strong as in it's, we, it's very, very much stigmatized as unruly, untamable. Yeah. And, Wild. Frankly, yeah. and that's 
that's a story that we share as women all over. Yeah. You want it, you have to be controlled. And if we look back into history, it's it's not um, sexy for a woman to have her own mind, her own will, fierceness. Those were all qualities that we were not supposed to have. And we were definitely not supposed to have them as black women when we were supposed to be objectified, enslaved people and, and yeah. workforce, right? So it just kind of adds up, exactly, just adds on a layer, you know? So inheritance is like, like you were saying, it, it's doing its part. I think it's doing a pretty big part in, in you know, heightening and and bringing awareness into the world, and also just being a hub for people to feel like they can be themselves and that they belong somewhere. So, and I definitely like just walking in those doors. I definitely feel like you have achieved that wow. at inheritance. It's like, it's, it's just such an amazing, it's just such an amazing place. Like let alone the talent of your stylists alone. And I'm just saying this, like for all of you curly girl listeners out there, honestly, this place, a magical, it really is. Thank it's, you so much. Yeah. No, it, it, it was incredible. Even forming the stylist. I'm so happy you brought this up because we realized that the big, big lack, um, is, you know, like, how do you say the whole hair industry has been so racialized. So it's like black people hair salons and then mm-hmm. white people hair salons. And what they yeah. completely don't understand in all of this is where do curly, where does natural curly hair fall in? It doesn't yeah. fall in, in either category most of the time. And what inheritance tried to be is everything you said is try, try to be this hub, this safe space where you can talk about hair. So I kind of created, it started out with um, a consultation desk, you know, and why? Because I wanted to have a space where I could talk about my hair story. And Mm -hmm. I love the name of your podcast because that was really like, it still reminded me of the reason of why I created this. It's just like, listen to my hair story, which is my hair story, which is, you know, it's intertwined with all the phases I went through as, as finding my own feminine power and my, my identity as a woman, as a black woman. And it's, yeah, to create that space for each person that walks in is super important. But then you have the whole technical aspect, which is really how do you care for curly hair? And how come that we are not educated in normal hair schools on the differences of curly hair, on how mm-hmm. we cut it, that dry cuts are so much better, that um, you know, it needs a complete different regimen, it needs a different ritual in um in its care, in its way of um nurturing it, you know. It mm-hmm. needs uh, measurements like all of those things have we've never been taught um in in the hair care industry nor in the mainstream industry and that's why it is really a hub for all curly girls no matter their color and i really insist mm-hmm. on that because we are training all of the analysts and the curl experts on curly hair and it starts with the wave to very very tiny curls you know mm-hmm. and it's all those different patterns that are our passion and that we want to provide solutions for and so you have a business in Martinique as well, don't you? Actually, it's you a have- franchise. So one of our um, one of our early curly uh, curl experts went back to Martinique and opened an inheritance Martinique franchise. So it's the exact same concept. We just um, built it in Martinique, and she's doing incredible there. Wow! I mean, there's you know it's such a multicultural hub there as well with curly girls with so many different ethnic backgrounds and uh yeah it's it's been doing amazing so i want to talk about the the current times (laughs) 
How has COVID-19 affected your business? How have you gotten through that? Because obviously, you know, it's it's such a, yeah. you know, you, you work with people, you touch people. Yeah. Absolutely. How have you um, like we were laughing about it at one point. How do they consider uh, hair salons not to be an essential service? Oh, my God. Of, of emails and, you know, SM, like text and um, social media posts and messages we got. Oh, my God. It was... It was really, really, really um, overwhelming at times how uh, people, you know, were really craving for services. And there's so much more involved in just taking care of your hair. It is that moment of self-care. It is that moment of wellness. It's that moment of being touched as well. So people who have lived, um, who have lived during the whole lockdown moment alone, it, it really changes um, our whole entire being, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, how did we go through it as a business and as a team? It was heartbreaking at moments. I had to let go everybody um, right in the beginning because everybody's on payroll. So it was really, really rough for me. It wow. felt very much of a, yeah, it felt like a complete moment of failure. You know, how are we not prepared for a crisis like that? And then obviously knowing that you cannot prepare for something that is never seen, you know, that, that nobody could have foreseen as well. And then trying to find different ways and starting to understand this as a great opportunity as well. So we really used it um, as a moment where we can educate our clients through tutorials, through life. Uh, we did a lot of lives actually on Insta, um, giving giving um, tips and tricks. We started doing free online consultations as well. And we have switched very much to the online part of our business. So we are, we do have an online store where we carry about 20 different brands. Most 90% of them are black owned, um, but a hundred percent of them are women owned, you know, women. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. That's super important to us. So we were able to, you know, be there for our clients and tell them which products to use. How can they do certain treatments themselves at, uh, at home? Mm-hmm. And how can they, you know, just bridge those moments? And now coming back, obviously, has changed a lot for us as well. We had to adjust in, in many aspects because of the the distance, not being able to work at hundred percent capacity. We are down to fifty percent capacity. Also, not everybody could come back because, for example, they have kids and, or many kids, and it's yeah. very difficult during the summer months when there was no school or they didn't get a place in day camp. So all of those things forced us as a team to, yeah, to uh, connect differently, to come back to the vision, to come back to what is why are we here? What are we doing? And how can we serve best? And I think what it made us, it really gave us um, a big kick. Um, at least mm-hmm. that for me, it, it kind of pushed me in my butt because we've been planning this whole academy, um, the Inheritance Academy for years. And now we are really ready. We are um, preparing the lounge. And that is a whole school, a whole training, training modules actually on giving that knowledge to every hairdresser that is interested in treating curly hair. And I think it just kind of, kind of, you know, reminded us of the why we want to, we want to distribute our knowledge. We don't want to keep it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that, um, that curly child has, you know, in, in England has the same access to it than in Guadeloupe um, and uh, be it in France or in the States or here 
online where it's easy accessible and we don't have to wait for hair schools or the mainstream knowledge to finally let it sink in curly hair is different it needs different ways of you know being treated there's a whole science behind it and finally we're getting ready to offer that knowledge with the beginning of the new year and i'm really excited about it so i feel covid has given us a lot of you know a lot of opportunities to reflect to uh, go into introspection and to be like, okay, what is re- how can I really serve my community best? And how do I need to adjust to those new times? And not just waiting for things to go back to normal, but to really advance and say, okay, I want to keep those parts um, available like that. And other parts, I just want to expand the way people can access, you know, knowledge. Oh my goodness. There's, okay, there's so much in what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> to like let it all sink in. Okay, first of all, side note, I I've had many of your products um in the past and right now I currently have the 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 leave-in conditioner, the inheritance uh leave-in conditioner which I absolutely freaking love. Oh, so yeah, all of you curly girls out there, seriously, go get some. Mm. Um second of all, so do you feel like with COVID, I mean what you said about it's it's forced you, it's given you a kick in the ass and it's forced you to really, um, to turn in and reflect on, you know, what, what's next and yeah. take some time mm-hmm. for this major shift. I mean, I think a lot of people have been doing that as well, but like as a business, that's just insane because you're taking care of other people as well. It's not just your livelihood, but it's everyone else's. So there's a huge responsibility there. And I just wonder if, your mandate and your purpose in some ways, you've sort of answered this. Do you think that is it, it's become stronger or has it actually even shifted and changed? I mean, you were talking about, you know, having your reach be online, which is one of the, you know, the kind of weirdly great things about this whole thing. Like I can take classes from a school in like say LA or, you know, I can, I can take long distance classes from a school in Alberta and, you know, we can open up our knowledge. Um, and that's something it seems that that you're doing as well. So yeah, I'm just wondering about like, the purpose and the mandate, if that's something that you feel like you've had to really turn on or really sort of sort of reformulate for your business and for yourself. Absolutely. I think it actually started um, a bit before COVID. I'm somebody mm. who's um, like, I have a very strong spiritual practice. And I feel like those there's been how do you say um a phase of announcements or of changes that led up to this you know Mm. within myself within our team culture as well and um for some reason in i'm born on the eighth um my life cycles around eight we have Mm. just um you know terminated in june our eighth year as in as well and congratulations it was was about to happen like i think there was there like it's very aligned that we are shifting as a team and as a culture and that mandate you talk about i think is so so important because it is and has been my absolute all over driving force like i feel very very responsible for the people who've committed to working with me, um, to that have committed and to that vision that I had, you know, it started as a one woman show and it became a 21 people business. So there's always this part where I'm just so deeply grateful that people believed in what I thought thought of, you know, that would have mm-hmm. never become a real manifestation without mm-hmm. their trust 
and without their their engagement. So um, one of those people who's been with me literally for from the beginning is Mikhail Harewood. And Mikhail Harewood has not only trusted me, but walked that path with me and is now the co-founder of the Inheritance Academy. And uh, that mandate has shifted in the sense of COVID. It, all of those ideas have been there before. It just made the urgency appear um, way higher. Like the urgency just got up, like it just leveled up in so many aspects. So yeah. to understand it's not enough to just uh, offer employment. It is not enough just to offer, um, you know, a hair salon and this is, this is your job. And obviously I, I had a broadband um, lined out before, meaning what are the career opportunities when you work in inheritance, but with COVID, it showed us very much that you need a pandemic-proof business model, and you need yeah, seriously. You need a, I, I need to create job opportunities and career opportunities for my team that is beyond the physical service aspect, and that's again that was planned before, but I kind of let it. I don't know. I just didn't uh, give it the focus and the attention that it deserved just because the service part and the everyday life is so energy absorbing. So it's very difficult yeah. to take yourself out and really concentrate on a complete new project because running 21 people and managing is so time consuming. And it takes oh my goodness, energy yeah. that there's not a, a lot of creative space, structural space for um, creating other things. And what COVID really showed me is that I cannot just, my mandate, my responsibility is really in being a leader and stepping into those leadership boots every day. And that means I don't have the luxury to keep on going with my everyday mojo. I need to mm-hmm. think 10 steps ahead. That is my absolute uh, most important priority because otherwise I'm not going to be able to lead my team into the future. And that future right now is presence, you know? So. Yeah. How do I gear up ASAP um, to to really do it and not see it as something that I want to do, but it's always on the back burner. I have to do this. And yeah, and to give back to the people who've trusted in you and to, to kind of um, broaden that mandate as well and say, it's great to have that one-on-one impact on people's lives, on on um, their family, on, you know, feeding people's family, but we can as a whole, as a team, as a family, have way more impact worldwide if we hear about our game, you know? And yeah. that's where I want to go. So I think that you probably were very much a leader even before COVID happened. I mean, inheritance is such like um the the epicenter of 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 a cultural, you know, a, a cultural movement in a way. So, you know, you're there and <laughs> you're the owner. And so, you know, you're kind of leading all these people into the future, like you say. And that comes with a lot of responsibility. And, you know, with COVID and then also with like the racial politics that have happened in this time, you know, people have had the time off and time to reflect. And so that means, you know, it gives them more time to go out and mobilize. Is this something that comes natural for you being in these strong leadership shoes? And how do you cope with that? How do you, my goodness, how do you like deal with all these people relying on you and depending on you? Oh, what a good question. Um, I think, honestly, a lot of times I realize I didn't ask or I don't ask myself all of those questions. It really <laughs> protects me from 
fine. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, it probably protects you from like going, oh no, okay, I'm locking myself in the closet. Exactly. I can't. Like with many things, like inheritance reminds me of that all the time. If I would have known all the things that will expect me, you know, I don't know if I can be like, no way, <laughs> you know. But yeah. I think, um, so I was very politically active um, in Austria and mm. I, I studied political sciences. So I'm not a hairdresser, right? So I, mm. I studied in political science and communication science and leadership in that sense was something that I think I've learned very early on. I was um, part of Pamoja, which was the first um, second generation group. Um, of Afro descendants in Austria and we created Black History Month and yeah, safe space for Black Austrians to start identifying. So there were, I I realized that only lately, a lot of leadership skills I've been taught very young by volunteer work and by wanting to create new spaces for us. That urgency was always there. And racism and sexism kind of create those urgencies. I mean, you have all these different uh, forms of reacting to to suppressive systems, right? And I, I think we there's a huge palette and we are reacting always differently as well. Like, obviously, we internalize a lot of the, the suppression, a lot of the... Um, the stereotypes, the the terrible images that we get, but there's also a rebellious part in me and that wants to change and that wants to um, create an impact for people to come and for people to follow. So with with that part, um, you know, that was always part of my identity, I felt. Afterwards, I worked in a foundation um, and I decided to get paid for the work that I've been doing for free all of those years. Yeah, hell yes. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, worked as an anti-racist project coordinator. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was very much, okay, let me, let me try to have impact on that side. But it was very frustrating for me because you, again, you're in this... Um, I would say corporate structure, although it's a nonprofit, but it feels very corporate in many aspects. And you're in a very uh, white structure that is mm-hmm. led by white men. And yeah. uh, although it, this is about anti-racism, but I've, I've dealt with the same, you know, sexist, racist stereotypes of being too emotional, being too young, um, being too black for my position. So I, I realized that the energy that always goes out against things like I'm fighting against racism I'm fighting against sexism I'm fighting against those things it's not nourishing to my soul and I became very sick and Mm. physically sick and I had years of not being well you know and uh, obviously uh, my own personal life was uh, was a roller coaster and all of those moments were really really good moments of of learning, of how much is too much, of understanding my own limits, of uh, understanding what actually gets me going and keeps me flowing, what is draining to me. And having a job that has a purpose is, it's really essential for my, yeah. for my being, for my soul being. I cannot, I, I can't live with the thought of working and not having an impact with all of those hours that I, that yes, I spend seriously. Myself, right? What's the point otherwise? It really, yeah. you know, when you're in that position that you're loving what you're doing, it can be exhausting, but you feel filled up. Yes. You know, for the most yeah. part. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it depends a lot on your spirituality on how you perceive world and life and soul and how you fit, you know, how you fit in with all of that. And I believe that that is part of, of my sole purpose is yeah. to, um, yeah, to leave an impact and to understand what is the light in other people. And by leading a team, I have this amazing opportunity to be surrounded by such 
gifted spirits, but such gifted people. And mm. sometimes being able to show them certain talents that they didn't even know they had and see them flourish. The wow. bad part about it is, is like as soon as you give people wings or make them realize how big their wings are, that they fly away. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that yeah. and that's just part of it. But um and that's obviously logistically that's not what anybody will tell you. This is a great way to to you can't really retain staff like that very well. But I yeah. feel from a human perspective, that is so important for me to see wow, inheritance was their stepping stone. And then they moved on to, to, to really go aligned with their own purpose, the individual um, life mission. And that is so rewarding for me to see. And to yeah. see, for example, when I went to Martinique and to see Georgie create that same vision, but adapted to the local circumstances I mean, I think there, it was one of the greatest moments in my life, you know, like, Oh, that must've been so, so amazing. Beautiful, yeah. you know, because that's hers now. She completely appropriated that and made it fit to her surrounding and to what is needed in her community. And she's a dark skin, um, black woman in Martinique where it's a very strong culture about light skin and, and like big curls. And she, she was the one bringing curly hair back in that sense. Wow. And I find that, I mean, that has, way more impact than I can ever do. You know, this is, this is just so beautiful when the dream or the mission has their own, has its own speed, its own tempo, or how do I say it just gets its own wings. It just flies. Yeah. Away. It's not really me anymore. It just does what it needs yeah. to do. But to think that, to think that you played a process and you played a part in that, mm-hmm. that's so cool. That's so exactly. amazing to see exactly. someone. Yeah. And What's your daily, yeah. you said that you're a spiritual person, um, I'm really interested. I'm really, these days I'm so interested in like other people's sort of daily lives just because yeah. we're all isolated. And I'm like, Ooh, what do you do? What juice do you drink? <laughs> so I'm really interested in knowing, um, what your spiritual practice is like. Okay. So, um, I, I meditate and I've been mm-hmm. actually in a meditation group, uh, with, um, many people, which was one of those things that helped me greatly during COVID. It was mm-hmm. great because we couldn't meet in person anymore like we did on Saturday um, in person, but now it was Saturday on Zoom. And just that contact with other people and meditating and then talking about concepts such as patience, gratitude, love, you know, um, it was it was a time. It was great and really helped me um, through that moment of a solitude as well sometimes or just staying connected to and motivated to keep my spiritual practice um, alive I do Kundalini mm-hmm. yoga so I, I practice Kundalini yoga every day in the morning I uh, meditate right after and just reconnect myself with my higher beings and with my with my I would say yeah my own higher being as well you know just mm-hmm. to align myself with what am I here to do on this earth what is what are the things that I um, need to bring how can I serve and what is important and that helps me so much in my, yeah, in my whole day, I would say. It plays yeah. a big role on how I make decisions. And then um, that's a part of the daily practice, as in my daily spiritual practice, you know, doing yoga and meditation and uh, meeting with like-minded people is super important as well. So I noticed, yeah. especially during COVID, you know, when people say you are the sum of your surroundings or your environment, it really isn't a lie, you know, that that is very true who you brainstorm with. I have a group um, 
uh, two other entrepreneurs and we have like a brain, three other entrepreneurs, sorry. We have like a group where we brainstorm on our business models and on the questions that you're asking me, how are we coping with all of the stress, with the pressures, with um, what is the best decision at this very moment um, now? And that helps so much to just be able to have those kind of relationships with others that have very similar experiences and a similar um, spiritual awareness, let's say. Oh my goodness, that must be, I can imagine a bit of a lifesaver to be with other people that are in your field, you know, in your entrepreneurial field in a way, just to kind of brainstorm ideas and and feel like you're not so alone (laughs) as as an entrepreneur like I mean let alone a person but just like as someone who's trying to run a business where you're in contact with people every day that must be really yeah really fulfilling actually the loneliness is real I think that's one of the things nobody ever told me entrepreneurship you think this is great and the bigger the team the less lonely you are and it's the opposite the more lonely you Mm -hmm. get um, it's really a very lonely road and being a leader also means that actually, you know, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's something I definitely didn't realize from, from the beginning on. And it's something you kind of grow into. And then it's so important to not feel like, um, cause I created different groups and not to feel like you're always coaching others, but that there's an actual exchange, you know, that you, that everybody's actually nourishing each other. And it's not just a coaching session or a one way kind of conversation. So that's, that's yeah. super important. Yeah. You need to be getting something out of it too, as well. Absolutely. You know, yeah. everybody does. Yeah. I think. yeah. So I want to talk about like some sort of technicalities mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as a, as a curly girl, what would you say is the most, and this is like for all the curly girls out there listening, just that have questions about their hair. What would you say is the most basic routine from wash to style? I mean, I, and I can understand that there's like so many different routines depending on what your curls are, but what would you say are like the most basic things that someone could do to just improve their hair texture? Okay, so absolutely, there are so many different variations. But let's say um, I'm going to give you like a little bit of a categorization system. Like let's say you have a corkscrew curl and it's kind of as big as or as tiny as a chalk. Okay. Um, Okay. And you have medium to fine hair and you, um, yeah, let's say that. And you have not had excessive color damage. Definitely one of the biggest, biggest and most important parts of your curly routine is hydration. And hydration mm. paired with some of the proteins that we just need, uh, just because our hair is ma- mainly up of protein, so we want to replenish them with each and every wash. So, um, to number one, get rid of your sulfate um, uh, shampoos. Like, really make sure yeah. that your cleansing ritual is not harsh, is not drying out your hair. That's really where where it's at. Why? Because when you start with a very harsh sulfate shampoo or a sulfate derivative that is just as harsh and just as drying, you're literally starting at minus 20. So whatever hair product um, that needs to do the job afterwards is completely overwhelmed because you're not starting from ground zero. You're starting from minus 20 and that's just not fair to the next product. You know, they can't do the job really. So start with that moisturizing shampoo that is sulfate-free, that is silicone-free. 
super important because you don't want to coat your hair with plastics again. Um, you really, that cleansing um, ritual, that shampoo is so important just to get rid of everything you have on your hair, all of the excessive product residue of sweat, of dust, of all of the environmental um yeah, dust, debris that that you usually just build up, right? Mm-hmm. Like work out a lot, all of those things, you know, like all your your um, sweat also adds up on your scalp. So you want to make sure that you are able to create a new canvas. Once you have washed your hair, your conditioner should become your best friend. So your conditioner and your source of conditioner is, I would say, the most important part of your curly um wash routine of your curly girl routine why because that product has to be very much adapted to your curl type it's important how heavy it is uh, how much oils it has inside is it uh, mostly proteinated is it mostly hydrated i would always opt if you don't know very well what your needs are always opt for a hydrating or even deep conditioning treatment don't be afraid of um Treatments. It doesn't have to be only a light conditioner. It can be um, treatments. The only thing that is very, very important is that it has enough slip for you to detangle your curls because this is where oh, breakage okay. happens. So when we opt for a very dry, high, um, dry, deep treatment, for example, like a mask, but it, it gives you that kind of a dry feeling and it's hard to run your fingers through your hair with the treatment in your hair, it's not an ideal product to you. You really want to get the slip. You know, like when you were talking about the leave-in condition from inheritance, the curl care um, leave-in, one of its amazing properties is really the slip. It detangles your hair like almost instantly, you know? And that's that kind of, you want to get that in your conditioner as well. You want to be able to, to detangle your hair effortlessly. And then depending on um, the density of your hair, how much hair you have, and also the, the, the size of your curl, you're going to decide whether you can just detangle in the shower and it's kind of done because you can um, really just uh, put your fingers through or you want to take it outside of the shower, start sectioning your hair, go from the back to the front. You start always by middle sectioning your hair. So um, part your hair in two halves and then maybe each half again four times, four to eight times, depending again on how much hair you have. And then you add your conditioner um, slash detangler and start always finger detangling first. We are huge, huge fans of finger detangling. Why? Because um, first of all, you have them always with you. Second of all, you can feel when there's a knot. So you can feel um, and really open up the knots very carefully. This is so important because we have so much physical manipulation, like our hair endures so much physical manipulation while going through the detangling process. And this is where we most of the times get just very impatient and start yanking on it and tearing on it and it just breaks up. You know, I feel like you're speaking to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all of us. You yeah, know? I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, and then we have those huge bundles of hair that we lost after each and oh every wash, and it's just scary. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. It's important to, especially when you when you have a good conditioner and you're going through the detangling carefully to really see how much less hair you lose. That is, it's such a rewarding mm. moment. It's important to be conscious about that moment because it really, really changes. So once you mm-hmm. have um, all of that, um, all the detangling is done, be it in the shower or outside of the shower, it is really your option to, depending again of how much 
hair you have, so the density of your hair, and also how fine your hair is. It could be fine to rinse out a little bit. It could be completely fine to leave all of the conditioner inside. It's such a scary concept for many people, but it actually helps tremendously. And, you know, especially when you opt for all natural products, you're leaving all of those goodies in your hair. You're not just like rinsing it out again. You can really leave them in because everything that's in there is great for your hair. So you want to give it the maximum effect. Um, sometimes, you know, if you feel like, okay, you, you did a very strong hydration treatment, you want to rinse out a little bit just because you, you don't want to lose volume or you don't want to weigh your hair down. There's no problem, but just keep it, keep a little bit of the, of the conditioner inside. And then the routine. So the, those are the two basics that are really similar for each and every person. Afterwards, it kind of depends on what are you opting for, you know, and how thick is your hair. So for example, um, a curly girl like me, I have a... Uh, I'm a type three, I have a tiny, like a yeah, smaller curl, I would say, very high porosity. I will opt for a butter afterwards because my hair can't take it, you know. Um, I would say maybe you might not add a butter. Maybe you will add, um, it's enough to just add a little bit of leave-in, you know, yeah. and then a very light oil. Or you take our pomade and like really rub it very nicely and just rub it all over your hair. People are very, especially with um, fine hair, very scared of oils, you know. Um, also, again, no need to be. You can make them as light as you want them in by, pump, by rubbing them in the palms of your head. And why are they so important, especially right now with the weather changing and going into the winter months? Because they are our coats, you can say. They're really our jackets. And they are okay. creating that barrier between you and the environment. And now, you know, fall season has hit us. Um, we are wearing coats. We are wearing, um, um, how do you call them, shawls, uh, yeah. scarves, right? We are putting our jackets on. We're putting our bags on. All of this is manipulating and stressing our hair. How many times does your hair get caught underneath your the strap of your bag, for example? Oh, my God. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. And we, then I have hair all over the place. Exactly. I've got like hair un, underneath the underarms of my coat. And yeah. I'm like, where? How did you get there? Yeah. That's exactly it's annoying. It. Yes. And that's really what it is. And, and um, during fall and winter, that is even, you know, that's even heightened. And then we wear... Um, uh, how do you call them? The little hats, right? On our, yeah. on our head as well. So all of those extra stressors that are damaging our cuticle layers. So it's important to have that film of oil protecting our hair, smoothing down the cuticles at all times, you know, without making your hair um, greasy or oily or weighing, weighing it down in any way. So you really start with the wash, with the conditioner, then you can um, opt as you wish uh, for a leave-in, or you can opt right away for a little bit of oil and then add a gel, for example, to really make it pop and really get that beautiful curl out. You can also um, opt for a mousse without a problem and then add a tiny um, dab of oil right after. So afterwards, you're kind of free to experiment and to um, see what works best for your curl type. But definitely mm -hmm. the most important part is really in your shampoo and conditioner, and afterwards you can vary. But that those two basics are, you kind of have to have them covered in order to move on successfully afterwards. Woo, masterclass with Abisara, everybody. That's Very amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. I find I've noticed that uh, I've reacquainted myself with mousse yes. uh, ever since I've um, been going to inheritance. And I think it's really important to scrunch out 
the crunch. Mm-hmm. Right? That was something yeah. that I never did. And I always looked like I walked out of the 80s. Um, yes, it keeps it at so scrunch. You have to scrunch out, once your hair is dry, you have to scrunch out the crunch. So true. Of your mousse. Even with a light gel, like a mousse is, you know, like just like a light gel, it creates that cast around your hair. And you really will have that wet look um, if you're (laughs) not crunching it out. So crunch it out, crunch it out to kind of break that cast and give you back the volume, you know? And especially if you feel like the mousse is making your hair look mad, that's when a dab of little oil, like just, you know, does wonders to give you back that sheen and brilliance. Okay. So this is, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, this Academy that you, that you talked about a little bit, it's starting in the new year. Can you talk about it a little more? Yes. Like it's so exciting. We've been in the process. So we are starting, I think I would love to launch it before the new year, but I want to, you know, stay safe and, um, risk free and say, we will launch it in new years. Why? Because it's also a great time for hairdressers. It's usually January, February are our down months. And we want to give hairdressers the opportunity to really, um, dive into curl science, curl knowledge, and open a whole new business revenue for them. It's yeah. a complete different business. It's it's knowledge that many of them, you know, try to get, but they didn't um, get them through their traditional educational system um, through hair schools. And then it's kind of like searching on YouTube, you know, like YouTube videos and, and getting a little bit of knowledge from here and a little bit from there and not really knowing what is the right path. So we kind of put all of our trials and errors, eight years of knowledge and uh, many more years of experience that I have as well as Mikal has and um, other of our hairdressers and, and curl experts have. We put all of this together and created different different modules um, into uh, understanding and how to take care of curly hair. All types and of- how do people apply for this? Is it your stylist or can, or can any hairdresser apply to the academy? Anybody can apply. So that's the beauty of it. You know, we obviously have it. Um, we also have it for all of our franchises to give um, an opportunity where people don't like in Martinique, they don't have to come to Montreal to learn from right. us, but we can yeah. actually deliver them content um, online. But the beauty of it is that it's going to be accessible for everybody. We're starting mm-hmm. in French and English first, just because, you know, those are the two languages that we master. And uh, we do believe that this already covers like a big part of our market, the market that we are reaching right now. And uh, yeah, and then any hairdresser can decide, let's say, I don't know, you have a salon in Toronto, in New York, anywhere else in the world, and you master a bit of English or French, um, you can learn on how to really, you know, give any curly um, client that they have a great wash and go, a great curl and definition, a great treatment, understand what the nature is of her or his curl. And that's the mission. That's really the mission to distribute that knowledge all over the planet. <laughs> no, I think they don't all have to go through, you know, not every girl has to go through through what we had to go through. Like your child no, trauma, my yeah. child trauma, there's enough trauma. The world is hard enough. Let's just make sure that we can take care of hair, you know, in a very yeah, seriously way. Absolutely. Yeah, it's got to be a source of contentment and satisfaction and not of trauma and stress and money. Oh, my goodness, the money I've spent. So many tears that have been shed because of bad hair days. Oh, bad haircuts. Yes. I remember I got a a terrible haircut. I wanted bangs, like the girls with straight hair in my class. Yeah. And the poor, like, mom and pop shop, the pop cut my hair 
it was I looked like a bad Samantha Fox. Like it was like it was really bad. Oh my god. <laughs> like frizz, like at my eyebrow level. It was just no good. And I cried, I cried, I cried. Ugh. Yeah. Oh my god, no. I, can't I don't want anyone that. to go through that. It's really traumatizing. It hair trauma, it's real. No, I didn't go to school for a week because of a bad haircut. Oh. I, it, was, it was devastating. I felt yeah. yeah. I feel for you. <laughs> well, well, it looks like you've definitely turned that trauma into something really positive. Really yeah, positive. Saying, you know, I think it's such a powerful moment when you start owning your hair and your beauty and understanding nobody made a mistake while creating you, you yeah. know? That Seriously. you are not just like missed, you know, like yeah, yeah. There's so much. Yeah, really. That. Yeah, I just have a few last questions to ask you. Um, are there any black businesses at the moment that you're really into that you want to talk about at all? Um, there are numerous. Oh my god! So I definitely, I want to talk about this amazing. Um, black uh, entrepreneur who's just done city tours and he is I, I know it's season finale right now i think the first of november will be his last city tour we just did this as the entire inheritance team and it's going through montreal and discovering the hidden stories the hidden black history of montreal oh, oh wow God. it was mind-boggling like i I'm not Canadian. So for me coming here 10 years ago, I really don't know anything about black history, but as so many people in my team are Canadian and born here and here for generations have not known any of those things that we've been presented. It was absolutely mesmerizing and wonderful. And his name is um, Rito Joseph. It's called Montreal uh, tourist in my city, Montreal black experiences that's definitely a business that I think is so um, worth mentioning and the tours are so worth doing. We also had some clients that were part of it and it was just great for all of us to be able to ask the questions that we had. And we see it, the, the tour was in the old port. You mm. see the old port differently now because you yeah. know what the history is behind there and things I've never, ever, you know, I would have never, taking the time to find out by myself, you know? Yeah. Not things that were taught either yeah. at school. That's exactly. Sure. Exactly. Cool. So that's, um, that's definitely one Montreal black business that I think is amazing. Um, another black business. Oh my God. There are how many, there's so many different ones. Um, Marché Coloré is an amazing business. Uh, they're doing pop-up shops of beautiful, um, African and Afrocentric artisanal, um, not only art, but like uh, interior design, um, furniture, bags, uh, jewelry, so all different kinds of artisanal crafts, as well as Bias, which is a black bookstore, Racine, an amazing, amazing black bookstore, um, Sur Saint-Hubert, really, mm. really beautiful, um, offering not only a bookstore um, that is really based on black um, and Afrocentric authors, but also a safe space for the community to have certain discussions, you know? Mm -hmm. There's an amazing, um, my meditation teacher, uh, Fimo Mitchell, um, anybody who is interested in spiritual practice, um, I definitely highly, highly recommend his meditation sessions. They are available on Zoom and on Facebook Live. Fimo That's Fimo Mitchell, you yeah, said? F as in Frank, I as in oh. India, M as in mother and O is an Oscar. You will find him right away. Fimo Mitchell. He's a great 
author, creative mind, uh, intellectual, um, and an amazing meditation uh, meditation coach. I absolutely love the sessions with him. Oh my god, they, they, you want to mention all of them, you know? Um, yeah, I know. Well, I'm definitely going to put these yeah. in the show notes so people can refer to it for sure. Afterwards. That is an amazing, um, yeah, an amazing store on Saint Hubert with a lot of different fashions that I absolutely love. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I could mention all of the brands that we carry, obviously, but you already find them at Inherit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that's that's it. So for now, let me think of anything. So one last question. Um... With everything that's going on right now, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, all the mobilization that's happening, um, this is something that I've been asking a lot of my guests. And I, I want to be really delicate with the question because I know that it's up to us um, to do our own research and to educate ourselves and not to add any emotional burden on on the black community because there's already enough but i am curious having said that to know like what what is it that you want to see what's your hope oh it's a beautiful question actually um i think uh, like what's really beautiful in those moments of revelation and and very 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 painful i mean like it was it is such a painful moment but let's be aware that this is constantly happening this is not something that is only a moment right now in time it just happened um that we that we see it broadcasted everywhere and now people are realizing certain things that have been going on on the low like all Mm -hmm. all this last years and decades and i want to say centuries so um I think when things are put on the map, it gives us a great, great opportunity to broaden people's horizon, people who have not been aware of it, who have simply had the privilege not to see it. And this is not to guilt anybody. It's just, uh, I find a fact, you know, that um, if you have the privilege not to see and to feel all of the uncomfortable pains that come along with being racially targeted or, um, a uh, subject of, of racial and sexist discrimination, then you might not want to opt for that option to to do something about it or to help. So right now we're just all bombarded with it. And I think that is just really, really important to take that in. And I, mm-hmm. what I love about that moment is that we are all thinking about how can we create alliances? How can we actually create change? That is not just momentarily, but that is actually long lasting. And when things become each and every person's responsibility, I do believe that they have a real chance of change, you know, now it's no longer something that happens outside of me that the government is responsible, the police is responsible for, but me, myself, and I, my actions have influence on, um, on creating black wealth and other marginalized communities, um, having a say, having a voice in the center. So if we are able to make that shift, I think that is huge because that, Mm -hmm. you know, you are asking me for black businesses. You are, um, you are becoming aware of your consumption power. Mm -hmm. I am very powerful. Each and every individual is very powerful in where do we decide to support and buy 
and consume that creates, yeah. you know, that really does create change on an economical um, and daily um, daily level. So I think if we're able to start really taking responsibility for what's happening around us, what's happening in our closest reality in our surroundings, we have achieved a lot. And that's when yeah. we can actually create something that is um, sustainable. And yeah, it, I think it's the, the work has to be done within the community as well. Obviously, um, there's so much um, brainwashing and, and uh, there's so much um, internalized racism and sexism that we have the chance to heal every day. And we have to take those chances and those opportunities just as much as there are you know chances for people um, uh, who are white, you know, or who are privileged um, to be yeah. aware. What does that mean to be privileged? And what, what what kind of consequences does that give me in my everyday positioning in society? And yeah, and I think those dialogues, those conversations are really important that they're emerging and that they're constantly there. So about about accountability and, and yeah. taking responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Abisara, this has been such a pleasure. I'm Thank so glad you, you accepted. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> and, um, you know, keep on doing what you're doing and everybody wear masks so that we don't go into another, a second or a third lockdown because inheritance is freaking essential. Seriously. Oh, thank you. I, I do feel like that. And I really don't want to see another lockdown. I think uh, economically yeah. we can't do that. I know. Well, you know, we'll do what we have to do, but you know, let's just all, let's just all be good and work together. But thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been really, yeah, it's uh, it's been really enlightening and, and so great to know more about you and your business. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for having me. I really love the opportunity. Thanks again so much for being here with us. Merci beaucoup. If you like this podcast, don't forget to rate, review, star, subscribe, share with a friend. See you next time on the Her Story Podcast.